Well, good afternoon, good morning, whichever one it is for you. How are you? How are you? It's okay, you can talk back. We're not in class right now. Uh, excited to have you guys with us today. Uh, if you don't mind, we're going to do something a little different today. Can you stand up? We're going to read the Word of God together standing today. So you're like, dude, I just got my coffee situated. What are you doing? Come on, we're going to stand in reverence for the Word today. There's a lot there too. So Pastor Trick, just getting you to pay attention a little bit more with me. All right, here we go. Uh, by the way, if you need a Bible real quick, I just go ahead and throw your hand up. Uh, and no, no shame in that. It's actually our gift to you. Uh, keep your hand up high. We've got some ushers. They're going to come down right now. I'm going to hand it to you. We have a, we have a slide that, um, that they're going to put up for me here. It shows you ways you can follow. You got that slide back there, y'all? It should have a, the version Bible app. And uh, it should say, there we go. Plug in this uh, URL into your browser if you want. We've got some notes on there. Or you can just open up your version Bible app into the events section and go to uh, click events nearby the well Austin. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We're continuing on our fourth week here in the Ephesians series. So Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, we're going to start in verse 11 today. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. He came, he preached peace to those who were far off and to peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation from the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, Jesus Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God, I pray today for every brother and sister in this place, that you would help us hear what you want us to hear today. God, maybe if we even feel open today to just open our hands to you, not as anything more than just a sign of surrender to say that I long to hear from you today, God. Not me, not this guy up on stage. God, I pray that your words would speak and implant in the heart. God, what we need today is a revelation of the heart. We need a revelation of our eyes. May, like you said in the verses prior to this, may you enlighten the eyes of our heart. May we have a spirit of wisdom and revelation of you today that changes us from here. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And the church said, amen, amen. Y'all can be seated. Well, there was a soldier in World War II in the Philippines. He was a Japanese soldier. He was an intelligence officer, and he was trained in counterintelligence to never be trapped by the enemy. And this soldier was released with a bunch of Japanese soldiers on an island in the Philippines in about 1944. And during this time, while he was on the island, a bunch of battle, the battle began to ensue between the Allied forces and the Japanese. And during this time, eventually, the Allied forces overtook this island. And in doing that, a lot of these Japanese soldiers retreated back up into the hills, into the jungles, into the, 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 the jungle behind them. And they hid there for as long as they could to try to survive in these jungles. They kind of created this guerrilla warfare strategy. And they would attack in a counterattack. They would go to fields. They'd burn fields. They would go into town at night, and they would try to burn down the town at night and do different things as they could, living high in the hills, but trying to remain invisible and hiding. What they didn't know was that on August 15th of 1945, the Japanese surrendered, and the war was over. There was no more fighting. It was done. And they were still hiding up in the jungle and in the hills and in the mountains. And five years would go by, actually, of them hiding in these hills and in these mountains, not knowing that the war was over. And planes would fly over above, and they would drop leaflets out of the sky saying, the war is over. The war is done. It's over. You can come out. And they would try many different efforts, knowing that there were people that had hid in the hills. Well, there were four Japanese soldiers left. Five years later, when these leaflets came and they see these on the ground, they pick them up and they're kind of talking to each other, trying to figure out, is this really uh, from uh, our people or is this a tactic of the enemy? Are they trying to get us? And they kind of decided, no, we're going to keep hiding. I think this is a tactic. I think we need to hide. And so they hide for another five years. And for five years, they stayed hidden as the message tried to continue to be giving to them that the war is over. The war is over. And five years in, one of the four guys says, I'm done, I'm over, I've had it. And he bolts late at night one night as the other three men are asleep, leaving three of them. Five more years later, we're now 15 years into this, they're still hiding. True story. Five more years later, another guy decides, I'm out. And he leaves. And it wasn't until 17 years later when one man, one of the remaining two, is in town late at night and he's trying to steal some things and he's out. He gets himself killed in a fight in the middle of town when he gets into an argument with somebody that it leaves one man left remaining, hiding in the hills, thinking that the war is still going on. And as he's there, they realize this man's still there. And what they do is they send his, they go to find his commanding Japanese officer and they bring him back to this island, knowing that if we can find him and if he can hear from this Japanese commanding officer that the war is over, he might believe it. And he heard the message. They found him and they told him the war was over. And 30 years later, after the war had finished, the message finally got to him. And he ends up coming out in his full uniform that he still had, all tattered, 30 years old. And he surrendered himself in a ceremony to the president of the Philippines. And he was pardoned and freed. And the man finally found his freedom. Now, why do I tell you that today? Why do I tell you about a war that is going on and the message that keeps coming to tell you and to say to us today, this is God, by the way, the spirit of God today is constantly berating us and coming at us in the most positive sense that there is to tell us that the war is over. It's done. It's finished. And if you are in Christ today, then, which, by the way, Paul in the book of Ephesians mentions in Christ 27 times 
to tell you if you are in Christ, if you are in faith, if your faith is in him, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you're in Christ. And the message that Paul is sending today is that the war is over and there are implications that the war is over. And you've got to know that. And I've got to know that. And we've got to live in these implications that the war is over. And so what Paul begins to do is he begins to show us and speak to us all about two main things in this book. And it is, who is God? Who is this creator? Who is the one that made you? Who is the one that's speaking through this word? Who is the one that has designed this plan all along for the fullness of time to bring unity between you and your creator? Who is he? And who are you? Man, I think there are two things that are attacked more in this world. Personally, as a believer of Christ, it is your picture of who God is and your picture of who you are in him. Let me tell you today, you are who you are because of whose you are. You are who you are because of who you are. Notice it's not because of what political party you're in. It's not what family you grew up in. It's not what you have believed since birth in this. You, maybe you grew up in a household since birth, believing these things. It's none of that. It's because you placed your faith in Christ. It, God says who you are. He tells you your identity. And if you want a, uh, uh, a positive wake-up bomb to the face tomorrow that's good from Jesus, a spirit bomb, then you need to open up Ephesians 1 tomorrow morning and read verses 1 through 14 and see that there are list after list of your identity if you're in him. You're a saint, it says. Hello, saints. Good morning. Morning, saints. Morning, chosen. You're chosen. You are holy and blameless and predestined. You're purposed and forgiven and lavish with grace. You're lavish with grace. It doesn't stop flowing. It just keeps coming. God just keeps bringing it on. You need more grace? He's got it. You want to live in an ocean of grace? He'll let you swim. And you're given wisdom. You're given insight. You're wondering where to go in the next step. God is waiting to give you wisdom. He's waiting to give you insight. You're an heir. You have an inheritance coming. These are the things he tells us. And he goes on. And you're like, man, maybe it hits you this morning. And you're like sitting there going, well, great, Nick. Yeah, I'm a saint. Great. Woo. Great. Wonderful. Let's just sing some more praise and worship songs. Maybe it hasn't hit you this morning. God then, Paul then, through, through his writing here, as he continues to go on, says, I pray that you had have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We don't need more information today. Amen? Hello? Anybody alive? We, have, we are the information age. We don't need more information today. We are hit in messages from every angle. What we need today is to hear the message and have the message give us a revelation to our hearts today. And the implications of this message on our hearts today is vast. It's amazing. It's life-changing. And it doesn't just affect you and God. Last week, Josh did a phenomenal job of talking about this vertical relationship between you and God, that God has erased the hostility between you and him. But you know what else? It affects the relationships between us. All of these people in here. Just turn and look to the person next to you. Go ahead and look at them. Hello. Good morning. You're looking at many of your brothers and sisters. No, that's weird, isn't it? Look at them. Go ahead. Oh, you look great. Tell them you look great today. Tell somebody they look wonderful. You dressed up nice today. You look great today. This is your family. This is the family of God. And they're beautiful. And it's diverse. And I'm looking out here today, and you know what I'm seeing? I am seeing a diverse group of people. I'm seeing young. I'm seeing old. I'm seeing people in their 30s. I'm seeing people in their 40s. I'm seeing people in their 20s. I'm seeing people younger than that in here right now. 
And God's diversity is a beautiful thing. And what Paul is going to show us today and what he's trying to tell us today is that because of all these things, because, by the way, last week when Josh preached, he said in Ephesians 2, verse 1, you were dead. Hello. Ooh, oh, hello. You were dead. You were dead. You were not alive. What can dead people do? Nothing. They can't do anything. Dead people do nothing. But God, verse 4, made you alive, rich in mercy. And this is the implication that continues to unravel as we go through Ephesians, as God continues to show us who we are and who he is. This is a power-packed book. There is way too much here today, and if I'm not careful, we will be here longer than we intend to be here. So y'all are like, please don't do that. So we're going to get going. Are y'all ready? Verse 11 is where we start today as God begins to show us the horizontal relationship, how this vertically is going to affect this horizontally. It's amazing. He says, first of all, therefore. Therefore. Amazing. Therefore. 21 verses in chapter 1, 10 in chapter 2, that's all wrapped up in therefore. Because of all of that right there, if you ever see a therefore, make sure you go back and make sure you read everything before that. By the way, if you see punctuation in your text, make sure you circle it, underline it, highlight it, notate it. See that God is not messed up by putting punctuation in your text, and that's what you're going to see right here. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the quote-unquote punctuation uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, you who were one time Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcision by what is circumcision done by the hands. He is beginning to unfold for us here a great division that took place in the church in the first century. And if you read all through scripture, you will see that God's goal from the beginning of time has always been to create one group of people, not divided by race, not divided by ethnic group, not divided by any differences, not divided by age, but to make one family and to bring us together. And Paul begins to unload what is and unpack what is going on in the first century, specifically between Jews and Gentiles. So that if this is your first time here today, I want to tell you just a little bit about what the difference and the hostility that occurred between the Jews and the Gentiles, the ethnos, the non-Jew is what the scripture says, the non-Jew. There was great frustration, great frustration because back in Genesis, God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 12 and he tells him, I'm going to bless your people, Abram. I'm going to bless your people. I'm going to multiply your people because of your faith. I'm going to bless your people. There are going to be many, many people and I'm going to spread them out. And God, he comes back around in Genesis 15. He reaffirms this covenant with Abram, and it carries on down the lineage, down the line to the Davidic covenant. And the same promise is then given to David in a different way. That then carries on, and Jesus comes from the lineage of these men. And this blessing here, he speaks this blessing to them. And the, the, the thing is, is that God wanted to create this people who were going to be blessed and who were going to prosper, the Jews the, from Israel. They were going to be his people, his chosen people. But they never intended them to just be about themselves. He intended these Jews to go out and to be a blessing, to go and be a blessing, to be the kingdom of priests who were privileged and made distinct in order to bless people. But here's what happens, y'all. Y'all know it. As soon as you get a privilege in something, as soon as you get authority, as soon as you get high up in some influence, we start to just bless ourselves. You know what I mean? It's all about us. It's all about me. And so what they do is they create this little group. We're the circumcision. We mark our people. Now, what does that mean? 
let's have a fun conversation this morning, okay? Let's talk about circumcision. You didn't think that was going to happen today, did you? But the people of God began to say, I want people to know that we're the people of God. I want them to see that we're distinct. And so they would circumcise their young boys at a young age to mark as an outward sign that they had the blessings, the promises. They were of this group. Now, it's funny because Paul straight up says here, he says it was done and made in the flesh by hands. I'm thinking to myself, well, what other way would it be done? I don't want to get into that conversation this morning, frankly. I want to be real with you. But he says that they start to mark themselves with this act, this religious act of circumcision. The problem is, is God never intended, never intended for those people to only be marked by circumcision in that way. God in Jeremiah, in Joshua, in Deuteronomy, throughout the scriptures has always longed for his people to be circumcised within the heart. He longed to mark them in the heart. And so a people, a people who were chosen by God, the circumcision, the insiders, the haves, begin to religiously perform. They begin to do tasks and say, look at me. Look who we are. We are the people of God. Does this ring a bell for anybody in modern day 2018 here? Do we do this? Do we say, we show up to church, I got my Bible, I'm in my small group, I do these things, I start marking, none of them of which are bad, but if in and of themselves define us, the difficulty there is it's missing out on what matters, that God is after your heart. Man, let me tell you today, you're in this room, not by accident, and I will tell you, God is after one thing today. It is your heart. Your heart, I should say two things, your heart and his glory. He longs to stir your affections so that he is made much of today in here. And this is what's going on. Paul says, yeah, they called you the uncircumcision. They name called you. They called you those things. You were the so-called circumcision. But that was done by hands. Anywhere that phrase made by human hands is found in the Old Testament, it's always connected to a time where God's not satisfied with something. He's always saying it's done by human hands. Not happy. It's done by man. That's not done by God. He's making a point here. This was a man-made thing. It wasn't God. And he says this, though. Those people, those two groups, that deep-seated hostility between the two, Paul reminds them that's who they were. Remember where you were. Do you, my friends, remember today where you were before you came into a relationship, brothers and sisters, with Christ? Does that even cross your mind at all? For me, it doesn't. It really doesn't. I have to think about it. But Paul is saying, remember where you were. 16 years next week, I have been walking with Jesus. It's crazy. I don't know how. I did not grow up in the church. It is by God alone. In 16 years next week, I got to go back 17 and go, what on earth was my life like? And Paul says, this is what it was like for you. You need to remember. It was like this. And he lists five things. They'll be on the screen. You were separate from Christ. You were alienated from citizenship in Israel. In other words, you weren't part of this family. You were separated. You were not part of this family. Do we have that slide by chance? Uh, you were a foreigner to the covenants of the promise. You had no hope. Zero. And if that wasn't enough, you were without God. <laughs> it was as if it wasn't enough that you were separated from him, you were alienated, you were a foreigner. In other words, think of, we, that doesn't compute for us very well, being a foreigner in a land because we have a very comfortable land that we live in. 
But a refugee knows what that's like. Someone right now in this country of the 10,000 that were lucky to get in here knows what that's like to be a foreigner in a land that's not their own. Having no hope and without God, this is what he tells us. And Paul says, you got to remember all this. You see, today, to understand how good God is, you have to believe how far you once were. You have to understand how far you came from. And it's not that you came from. You're going to see it's where God brought you from. Not what you did, but what God did on your behalf for you because he is crazy about you. And he longs for this heart of yours. Paul then says in verse 13, follow with me, it'll be on the screen. But now in Christ, there it is again, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace. He's made us both one. He has broken down the flesh of the dividing wall of hostility, abolished the law and commandments, that he might create one new man in place of two, and thereby making peace. He starts to use this imagery. He starts to use this imagery that would have been very familiar to the Jews of the day and the Gentiles. It's imagery of the Herodian temple. It's imagery of the temple that was in Jerusalem. And he begins to use this imagery to talk about there were walls set up and there were hostile walls. So much so that let me tell you this, today, if you, go, um, if you went to Israel, you can see this. That they, they, as they've been um, excavating uh, the Israeli, uh, I'm sorry, the Herodian temple, as they've been excavating it, they, archaeologists have found a sign that was at one point in the wall in between these walls that they had that I'm going to explain to you. And this sign said, if you Gentile cross over this line, it will only be you for whom you are to blame for your death. It was that hostile. It was a separation. And it was a deep separation. You know, it's funny, today in our culture, people feel this all the time. They feel like that, that we create as believers separation for them. The text is telling us that's not there anymore. But what happened is, is there were places in this temple, and the first place was the very center, and that was where the presence of God lived, the Ark of the Covenant. It was in the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest could get in there, one man. And he would go in and he would make a sacrifice on behalf of the people and he would take the offerings on behalf of the people to, to, to make the people of Israel clean, one man. And then on the other side of that was another area that if you were a priest, you could do your priestly duties. You could move a little bit closer if you were a Jewish priest. And then another wall was there and there was, that was for Jewish men, men only. And then there was another wall and that was for Jewish women. So wall, 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 wall. All this separation from God. And then there was another wall, and they called that the Gentile courts. And those were for the Gentiles, those who were not of the chosen, those who were not in the family, those who were not part of the haves and have the, uh, the insiders. There was a place for them if they wanted to be near the Jewish God. They could hang out in this courts. Now, here's how great these courts were. Let me tell you, so luxurious, so amazing they had. It was like the Ritz-Carlton of temple courts. It was amazing. They put all of the animals in there too they, with their feces and their dung and all of the things that they were eating was all right here in the Gentile courts. So, hey, good luck. Go praise and worship God in there with them. Don't step on anything as you walk. Be careful, but that's where we're going to put you. And they were called, they gave them a name, the God-fearers. And then there was an invisible wall, the one that I kind of referenced a minute ago, the people who are not believers today maybe feel with us, and it was the people who were outside of the temple, they didn't want to have anything to do with God. They didn't want to be there. They didn't want to go in. They didn't want anything to do with the Gentile courts, and they called them, the Jews called them the far off. And so Paul is addressing this. 
And he's speaking towards this. I, I think this is fascinating to me personally because I think of today's context. And I think of our lives. I think of maybe, I don't know how you were raised, where you came. Maybe you were birthed out on the altar, who knows, and your mom and dad put you right into VBS right away, and you had all the stickers and all the books and all the things, and Jesus loved me, this I know for the Bible. You knew it all. And they were, literally, literally last week, I was with a bunch of people, and they were singing these church songs, and I was like, I have never heard these things in my life. And they all were in unison. I was like, y'all are creepy. I don't understand. But you knew it all. And then you went, you know, you, you, you went to private elementary school, Christian private elementary school, and then you went to private high school, and there's nothing wrong with this. But then you went to private Christian university, and you got out, and you worked for a nonprofit, Christian nonprofit, and this has been your world, your life, and this is who you are, and that's okay. That is amazing. Praise God you had family like that, but you were the near. You were the near. And, and my prayer is that God has at some point awakened you to realize all of those little things you did don't matter. It's this that God wanted. They matter. They matter if this was in the right space, if this heart was there, and we were responding out of an obedience and out of a love and an affection. But we create religiosity and task all the time. There were some of you who were near-ish. You were kind of that next level out, right? And you were those people who, yeah, mom and dad took you to church, and you went, and they did their best, and praise God for them. But you always felt like, man, I just can't keep up with that guy. Man, I can't keep up with her. She memorized the scripture? I don't know. I can't remember a song on the radio. <laughs> and that was you. But somehow, by God's great grace, he, when you found yourself at the end of yourself, exhausted and tired from all trying and trying and trying to be better and trying to be better and trying again and trying again and just exhausted, when you said, I'm done, he said, now, now. I'll be yours and you'll be mine. And he awakened you. And some of you were like me. You didn't grow up in a church. You were far. You didn't want anything to do with these people. I was thinking of y'all on Sunday going, nope, going golfing instead. Nope, going to do this instead. And, and you were far off. And you looked at these people and said, no, you are the people who really uh, are hypocrites is what I would think I would say. You are the people who don't have it right. You're the people who judge me all the time. And somehow in God's radical grace, man, he grabbed me. He awakened me. And he did that for some of you. And you saw how beautiful he was and how great he is. And some of y'all are in here today and you still feel like you're that person and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And some of you think, and some people think you're just doing religious tasks. And I'm here to tell you, whoever you are in this room today, it's not. It's real affection. There's a love in here. We don't just show up, a lot of us, to just sing and follow. Some of us do. But there's a real affection. And the whole main point of all of these people, all different, was that God did the work and brought them near. God did the work. And then he made them, verse 15, by abolishing the law and commandments, he created one new man, one new man out of two. He made two one. The word in Greek, there's two words in Greek for new. This is a kainos or kainos. And it literally means unprecedented, first of its kind, never been done before, nothing like it. 
And what he's saying is that I took two people who are very different, the Jews and the Gentiles, the far-offs, the near, the far, and I brought them together. And by the blood of Christ, by the cross, I made them one. And I brought them to me. And I made them one. So what does this mean to you today? It means that Jesus tore down the wall of hostility to create a new man, to create a new something, a new group, and that is us, the saints today. That is who we are, and that has implications. The implications of it are simply this. I mean, they're, they're endless. But what I thought of, when I think of the well, when I thought of this, it means this. When we think of race in this church we are not colorblind to race in this church. We celebrate diversity. We celebrate the beauty of the differences of culture because God made that person different than you. And that's a reflection of him and he brought that person and this person and he made them one. And guess what? This is the other part of the implication. It now means what matters more than all that is this family of God. Amen, anybody? Hello, 2018. <laughs> what matters more is this family that he's brought us into. It does not mean we do not talk about race. No, we talk about race, especially today. We have to. It does not mean we don't talk about the differences of who we are. No, we enjoy and celebrate the differences. Some of you are like, I cannot celebrate the differences of some people in my community group. I'm telling you that right now. That guy talks way too much. I'm not celebrating that difference. I'm telling you, God has a purpose and a plan for that. And, he is, and we're going to talk about that before we end today. He has a purpose for that person. There are people in here who are young, who are old. There are people who are mature, immature. There are people who are all across the board in this room today, and they are different. And God is saying to you today, I did that on a purpose. I put them different from you. That's why I said, look around. We have a pretty diverse church, I would love it to be even more. I would love it to be, there to be older people here, more older people here. We need that. I'd love there to be younger people here. We need that. I'd love there to be more racial diversity and ethnic diversity. I'd love there to be more cultural diversity. We would love to see that because it would just reflect what God is doing in Revelation 7 when he says, when you stand at the throne of God, every tongue and tribe and nation will be praising his name and we will be one. And that is the day that we have coming. That's where we're going, and it starts now. It doesn't start then. It starts today. God is making us new today into one, and we've got to deal with us to be able to deal with us. We've got to deal with ourselves and the heart issues that we've got to be able to engage us and to love us in here. God, there's so much beauty in this room. I'm so happy. Woo. He says it. He brought them near by the blood of the cross in verse 16. Humility devours hostility. You don't get in the group unless you realize, I can't do it myself. You don't get into the family of God unless you realize, I don't have it together. I'm standing here today to tell you, as a pastor of this church, I don't have it together, y'all. Hang out with me one week, one day. Some of y'all are like, uh-huh, I see you shaking your heads. I know it. I'll tell you all about them. I don't have it together. But when we lay ourselves down and say, I don't have it together, I devour that wall of hostility. When I say, I don't have it figured out, I break down that wall. And that's what God, Jesus himself did for us, and that's what he calls us to do. This kind of humility is what allows and empowers a guy like Dr. John Perkins, who walked with Dr. Martin Luther King, friends with him, 
has allowed him to give his life now to racial reconciliation in this country. And he can stand on a stage weeks ago with a Ku Klux Klan man, former Ku Klux Klan man, who is now his brother in Christ and say, I love this man, this is my brother, and we will write a book together. And when the world sees that, they see what God intended us to be. They see his love. They see his beauty. And guess who gets the credit? Him. He did it. He divided. He broke down the dividing wall. He's the one that brought us together. It's his grace, his forgiveness, his kindness, his love, his act, his doing, his bringing in, his making. It's him, him, him. He's so dang good. And when you continue reading this, if you get into verse 18, it talks about that we have access to this, to this God, to this Father. We have access to him today. Romans 5.2 says, through him... We have obtained access by faith into this grace, into this gift. Through Jesus, we've obtained access to God by this gift that he's given us. Now on which we stand, you stand on that gift that he's given you, that grace. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in what God is going to get from all this. Did you wake up this morning rejoicing that God has his ear to you? Did you wake up today and were you just ecstatic that God is listening the creator of the ends of the earth, the most powerful being that there is, the one who is able to change your circumstance in this moment, did you wake up today and go, I have his ear? That should do something in this heart of yours. I got this picture. It sits on the back of my phone. It's a picture of John F. Kennedy. And uh, let's see if we can pull it up. There it is. It's got me in some really fun conversations. It's got me in some really weird conversations at times. But... Uh, John F. Kennedy was president at this time, and he had this famous story that all of his aides and all the people in the White House would talk about. And they would talk about that he had told everybody in the White House that his son was to have access to anything, whenever he needed. And so little John F. Kennedy Jr. would wake up in the morning, and he would walk across the wing, and he would walk past all the dignitaries' offices, and he would walk past all the secretaries and all the diplomats, and he would then go past the security checkpoint station, and he would keep on moseying on this little tyke over here, and he would get over into the West Wing, and he would go past all of the secretaries that the president personally had, and he would walk straight through the Oval Office doors, past two armed guards with Uzis, and he would sit at the most powerful man in the world's feet as he did work and made some of the very, very important decisions. This is a picture, my brothers and sisters, of what you have in God. This is what you have in him today, right now, in this moment. You have access because of God bringing you closer. It says in verse 19 that you're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. That word in the Greek is, I'm gonna try this again. Uh, this is the second time, I almost screwed this up. Uh, perioikioi. Hello, say that five times fast this morning. Perioikioi, alien, a perioikioi. And oikios is a house. A perioikioi is alongside the house, is near the house. He's saying you were alongside, you were near that house. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When you were a kid and like your friend's uh, mom and dad invited you over for dinner and you're like, I know I get to go in the house right now, but I don't, it's not really my house, so I can't just like eat what I want. And you felt kind of uncomfortable and you weren't ever sure when you had to go home. And it was kind of that. You were this alien to that house. You were uh, alongside the house, but you weren't part of it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I see y'all laughing right now. You're like, I want that extra roll, but it's not my house. And I would, it's not right. 
you were a perioikioi. You were an alien to that house. But now it says you're no longer a perioikioi. You are a oikeoi. You're an oikeoi. You're now in the household of God. You're in it. We all up in this house. I'm about to break out into Sam Hunt. We'll have a house party. Okay. You're in the house. You're, you're, no longer al- uh, you're no longer alongside. You were dead and you're alive. You were homeless and you're now in. This is where you're at. Multiracial, multi-ethnic, built together, one family, you are in. This week in France, uh, y'all saw the story of the refugee who scaled the outside of that building. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you gotta go look for this video. Amazing video. Uh, there was a child five stories up hanging, a toddler hanging onto the edge of a roof, and he was about to fall. And this man, a refugee from Mali, scales five stories on his own and grabs this kid. And it's, I mean, I'm literally in about six or seven seconds, this dude is like parkour, just ching, 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 ching. And you're like, what is happening? He saved this kid's life, and he's been a refugee. And the president of France brought him in to his office and in a ceremony gave him citizenship. And then they gave him a job with the Paris Fire Department. How crazy is that? Hello. <laughs> They're calling him the Spider-Man of Paris. I didn't make that up, but that's an awesome name. I love it because this man, uh, it's, I'm bittersweet about the story because this man gets access to citizenship, but he got it because he did something. I'm not sure what that speaks to the rest of those who are homeless and strangers and aliens, but I do know this. That man got his citizenship because he did something. You got your citizenship because you did nothing. You were just given citizenship. You are a citizen of heaven. And I'm telling you today, I'm a son of an Air Force F-16 pilot, a colonel. I'm the biggest America supporter you'll ever meet. Hello, look at my house on 4th of July, and y'all are going to be like, dang. It's a little weird. But I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven above a citizen of the United States. I am part of God's citizenship, his family, his coming together, his oikeoi, his house of before I am an American. That means today I've got more in common with an Iranian man who lives in Iran who is a believer in Jesus than I do with a white male in the United States of America. That's what God is saying. We do, no long, we, know, we do not have divides anymore. We are together. We are one. God is bringing us together. And he ends this text in verse 20. He says this, you were built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We are reading the word was written by an apostle Paul, a man who saw Jesus, a man who walked with the men who lived their lives with him. This right here is here because the foundation of what is here, what he's saying is the foundation is this word. It's the words we have of the apostle. This isn't, by the way, just, if you didn't know, uh, I'm gonna use a real big word here, ecclesiology, hello. Uh, If you don't know ecclesiology, this church is built upon the ordinances and the life that the apostles lived and enacted who followed Jesus. And they've put that in the word and we are building upon that. We are part of that story. And it says that the chief cornerstone, the, prime, the cornerstone of it all, the end piece, 
The one at the very bottom, the cornerstone was this stone that everything else was built around. It was Jesus. It is Jesus. In fact, one commentator says in Eastern, the Eastern world, the cornerstone is more important than the foundation. I won't get into any more commenting on that, but Jesus is the center. He is the thing by which the structure is built around, and without him, we are not aligned. It says that Paul realizes this, and he says this. He says, in whom the whole structure, all of us are being, verse 21, the whole structure is being joined together. It grows. That word grows means it is growing into a holy temple. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This should be the greatest news today that God himself has recognized and acknowledged that you are in process. The church of God is in process. We see that even this week as things are working out in different denominational groups that are hard. And we're watching very hard and needed conversations happening as women have been abused and not taken care of. And the church is getting worked over in a good way. It's hard, but it's being built. It is being in process. And the thing is, is that Paul realizes the church is a people. It's not a building. So if the church is in process, you're in process. We're all in process. It kind of looks a little bit something like this. Y'all bear with me for a second. Anybody know what this thing is? You're like, what? It says National Geographic on the front. Shout out National Geographic. Anybody know what it is? You do? I love it. What, you would, ah, she says, no, come on. She says I'm old. I love it. It is probably an older uh, toy, if you will, but it's my toy now. And it sits in my office. It's wonderful. But uh, I bought this because inside what you get are a bunch of these rocks, these stones, okay? Y'all should have seen last gathering. This thing was so loose, it was like falling. It was terrible. Okay, uh, these stones, these are, these are us. We're, we're jagged. We're pieces that are broken. Maybe you feel much more broken. Maybe you feel like you've got some hard edges around there. We're all together. And what God then ends up saying is I'm going to bring people who are different, people who are older, people who are younger, people who are less mature, people who are more mature, people of different races, and I'm going to put it all in there. And then he says, I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to put you all together. I'm going to give you a little grit, <laughs> okay? This is the grit package right here. Uh, we're going to call this racial diversity. He takes different races and he throws them together in there. And he puts you close. We're going to call this right here hard circumstances. Some of y'all in here today are dealing with very difficult things that are happening in your life. And you've walked in today and you're like, Nick, you're trying to rev me up and hype me up, but I'm telling you right now, straight up, it's hard right now. And God's like, I'm going to put a little difficult circumstance in your life. And then he says, I'm going to put a little bit of time in your life. And then I'm going to put more people around you that frustrate me in my work, in my job, in my situation. And I'm going to put that around you and I'm going to put it all together. And then over time, what you would do with this rock tumbler, this is great. Of course, you would pour out the, the grit itself, and you'd pour a little water in here. And God says, I'm going to pour a little of the living water on your life all together, and I'm going to set it, 
And over time, it's going to shake. And it's going to work. And this is what happens over time when you get around a lot of people who are not like you, who are not of your same culture, who are not of your same family, who are different than you. And he keeps doing this, and he keeps doing this, and he keeps working you, and he puts you in a community group, and, a, and, and you go to a community group at the well, and you're like, that guy, I can't stand him. And he's like, and you're like, and then you're at work, and you're like, I really can't stand them, and it's just, he's working it. And at the end of it all, what comes out of it are these beautiful, refined, hello, polished stones. And this is the end of our life. God is sanctifying each one of us, and by the end of it, he will have made you what he desires to make you. And guess what he'll then do with it? He will take this thing that was rubbed up against over time and dealt with difficult people and dealt with different kinds of people because he's brilliant and he knew that you would need people not like you to get over yourself. Hello. (laughs) He knew you'd need people like you, not like you, to frustrate you, to teach you patience so you can care for your kids better. He knew you would need somebody early on in life that hurt you and wounded you so bad that you need, I feel like I'm telling this to somebody in here today, that needed to be wounded early on. He allowed it to happen so that you can shed grace over the lives of thousands. But he knew that you would come out looking like this in the end. And he would take all these stones and he would build a glorious temple, as it says in verse 22, by which the Spirit of God indwells. Welcome to church today. That's what this is. These stones with Jesus at the cornerstone and he's building a magnificent temple and guess who gets the credit in the end? It's him. They're gonna see it and when we come together and when we deal with things gently with each other and when we love each other despite our differences and when you are the one that engages and loves somebody despite the difference first, people see Jesus And the city of Austin sees a group of people and says, I want that. I need that in my life. And they see people who stick it out and aren't quitters and they're stayers. And they stay in the groups and they stay with each other and they encourage each other and they deal with the hardships. And then you see this beautiful temple in the end of time and God will one day come back and he will bring his kingdom on this earth and we will reign with him together forever in perfection. Revelation 7 is the end goal, right? It's the praising God on the new earth. There's this, um, there's this basilica that's in Barcelona, and it's called the, see if you have the picture of it back there? It's called the Sagrada Familia. Did I say it wrong? Sorry, I just got corrected. <laughs> Dang. We have, we have a bunch of uh, architects in here, and they corrected me last gathering too on something else, so we're going to try this again. The Sagrada Familia, did we do that better? All right, sweet. I just earned some points with somebody, I hope. Okay, this thing has been being built for over 100 years. It has been in construction for a long time, uh, mid-1800s. The original architect literally resigned off the project. <laughs> he was like, I'm done, I'm not finished, I'm going to get finished. And he quit. And he left, and then another very famous architect came along, and he has been working on it, and he built it up to what it was, and it still is not finished. And it continues to be built. And it's, I mean, if you could see, if you go and just Google this today, if you could see the detail, it is unreal. And it is still being built today. 
And this is what God is doing. It's scheduled to be finished in 2026. Scheduled. But it's been built forever. And that's what God is doing today with us and with you. So, what does that mean? We'll wrap up with these four things. It means this. One, you need to remember where you came from. Today, don't leave here without remembering where you were in your sin, far off from God. You need to remember that you were once dead. Number two, you need to understand your new humanity, that unity and diversity is the deepest heart of God. It is the theme through Scripture. It has been shown that God has longs to make us one. Number three, you need to know that it means that this church, the church, and this church is messy. You don't know how freeing that is for me to tell you that as a pastor. We don't got it together. We're in process like you. This is in process. And you need to know we're going to be able to do all this, as it says in verse 21, 22, sorry, that we will live this by the empowerment of the Spirit of God. We will ask him, even today before we leave, we're going to spend a few minutes and just ask God a couple questions. I believe, your pastors believe that God will speak to you, and he does. So maybe that's weird for some of you today, but we're going to take a few minutes. I'm just going to ask you to say, Holy Spirit of God, would you tell me what I need to know today? Maybe you're asking the question, you can throw those up there, are you even in the house? Are you at peace with God today? Maybe you thought that you had to make yourself at peace. Are you in the house? Are you still far off? Maybe you need to ask if you're at peace with God, are you at peace with yourself? Are you forgiving yourself with the same grace that God gives you? Are you joined together with this church? Are you in, not, maybe this, let me just say this real quick. It doesn't have to be this church. I love this message because even the people behind me right now, these wonderful guys right here. It's awesome that they were playing today. Didn't intend this, didn't plan it, but they are. They're part of the church called the Austin Stone here in town. And we love the Austin Stone. And we love Providence. And we love what God's doing through Bethel. And we love what God's doing through all over this city in different places because there are two million people in this city and they need to hear the good news that you know. They need to be brought near. And we need every church that it can happen, be built up in this town to tell this good news and to share the love of Jesus, we need to partner together. I want to know today, and I'm wondering if you want to ask God today, are you even involved in a church, or are you just out there, kind of coming and joining? It's just fine for a period of time if you're trying to figure it out, but if you've been coming here for over a year, I'm asking you today, are you involved? Are you plugged in somewhere? Are you joined together with different people than you? Do you have friends that don't look like you? Are your, you have friends at other churches. Can you disagree with people and yet respect people that have different thoughts than you? All of these things, maybe they're questions you want to ask, but maybe primarily in my prayer is that we would just ask today, Holy Spirit of God, what do you need to say to me today? I just want to be quiet and listen and then respond. So let's do that. Maybe you want to open your hands. Maybe you don't. They're going to play. It's going to be quiet. I know we're not good. At, I'm not good with silence. But let's listen. Let's ask some questions. 
And just for a few minutes, let us be still.